This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique, voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! Hello again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Scream Queens. It's the podcast where horror gets gay. This is episode 319, and tonight we are raiding the nightmare closet once again to revisit a movie that scarred my childhood so badly that I'm only just now able to face it as an adult, and I'm talking about the 1971 satanic panic thriller Brotherhood of Satan. And to do that, I am utilizing the help of two gentlemen who specialize in cinematic sleaze and drive-in exploitation. I'm talking about Bill Van Ren and Sam Panico, otherwise known as Groovy Doom. But before we go one step further, please allow me to introduce myself. Hi, my name is Patrick Walsh, and since 2010, I've been your guide through the weird and wonderful world of horror movies. But, little one, you... Yes, you are going to have to see them through my very, very gay little eyes. Yeah, ta ta ta. And what worlds of wonder await you? No, I'm asking you, what worlds of wonder await you? Because I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea. So some of you are probably wondering, hey, Patrick, wasn't this episode supposed to be out last Friday? Why, yes, avid listener, you are absolutely right. This episode was supposed to be out last Friday. And isn't it kind of weird that you didn't put the episode out and you didn't say anything to anybody in social media? That is also weird. It is also weird. Uh, lots of stuff has gone on in the past couple of weeks. Most of it not good. It was a lot of a culmination of things that you've heard about. Me not being able to sleep. Um, some going back out into the world oogies. Some, some morning, COVID morning that... Okay. At the, beginning, at the beginning of the year, I dedicated an episode to my friend Stephen Stein Granger, who passed away on New Year's Day. His passing hurt so bad, I just stuffed it all down. Like, I dealt with it. I'm like, okay, that was was it. I'm dealing with it. And the the weird thing about losing people during the pandemic is that there's no funerals. There's no wakes. Doesn't feel like they're gone. And now the world is opening up again. I'm having to mourn them all over again, realizing, wow, that really did happen. And they're really gone now. What does that have to do with the show? I'm just setting the tone here. That's my baseline where I was last week. I was already not in a great place. I was overtired and just very, very sad. And bless their hearts. I love Bill and Sam from Groovy Doom. Their mics turned out to be really problematic. And it's one of those things you can't hear when you're recording, which is weird. Like you can't hear it through your headsets, but on the recording, I was like, oh boy. Oh boy, 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 boy. I had to do a lot of rescue on this one. I had to do some research on how to do the rescue. So I had to learn things on how to do the rescue. And this point last week, I couldn't cope. I'd pull up the recordings, fumble about for two minutes, get frustrated, and go cry. I just, I just didn't handle it well. And here we are, picking up the pieces and moving on. And since you've waited so long for this episode, as it is, let's not make the wait 
any longer. So without any further ado, let me bring on Sam and Bill and all their groovy doomy energy. And let's take a listen to the trailer for Brotherhood of Satan. Beware. Beware. Something's about to come out. Out of the closet. The nightmare closet. <laughs> beyond the comprehension of man. Call them what you will. The occult. Witchcraft. Satan! Behold thy supplicant! Devil worship. Rise and come into Enter for yet another lifetime. Slaughtered in a little over 72 hours. Six families wiped out. All those kids missing. A story of contemporary family witchcraft in California. Witches. Black artisans, celebrants of the Black Mass. Each missing child was in a specific age group from six to nine. My beautiful screamers, tonight is a very, very special and a very unusual episode. Because, you know, hey, Pride Month's over. We talked all about this crazy gay stuff. What are we going to talk about now? Well, we're going to talk about more crazy gay stuff. We're going to talk about the scars of my childhood psyche. Because it's the return of the Nightmare Closet. This episode and all month long, we're going to be revisiting the movies that absolutely fucked me up when I stumbled across them as a child that scared me so bad that I haven't watched them since. But we're going to be reliving all that tonight. Although tonight's feature is a little bit different because I've covered this on the show. I covered it a long time ago. I think in the first year of the show, way back in 2010. But I did it solo. And you know how I hate doing anything solo. It's always so much more fun with three. So, um, we've got two very special guests who are lurking inside the nightmare closet right now. 
poking around in my mothballs. My mothballs. They are experts in the areas of driving exploitation and cinematic sleaze. They are the coolest hosts of Saturday Night Double Features. They are the people behind Garoovy Doom. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and my GNC wherever you may be, they are Sam Panico and Bill Van Ryn. Hello. Welcome to the show, boys. Yes, exactly. Come on, come out of the closet. Come out of the closet. It smells weird in there. Come out. Come is, on. Is, it, is it time? <laughs> okay. It's nice to be out here. <laughs> Bill came cartwheeling out. It was amazing. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Sam did not, and there's a reason for that. But hello. <laughs> nice to be here. <laughs> we did another take before, and Sam just literally body checked Bill out of the way. <laughs> He's like, hi, I'm Sam Panico, and I have to introduce myself right now. It was great. I loved it. I loved it. He's very, he's very forward. Sam I loved Panico. it, too. Okay. Before we go any further, talk to me. There's so much behind Groovy Doom. It, 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 just walk me through the experience. Uh, there's so many layers. So many layers. Please, please tell us. Please tell them. Well, uh, Groovy Doom, this is Bill, by the way. Um, Groovy Doom is a blog I started many years ago, and I wasn't getting much traction, uh, so I decided I wanted to promote it somehow. So I created a Facebook page, and instead of talking about my blog, I started sharing newsprint images of uh, horror exploitation cult films, because I've always been obsessed with that. Uh, the movie section was the first place I went to in the newspaper every day, and usually the only section I went to every day. And um, you know, see, it, and I'm talking about when I was a kid, obviously, like I was, you know, eight, nine years old, and too young to go to R-rated movies, but not too young to look at them in the newspaper for free in the ads, and um, it was exciting. So I started sharing those, and the page started to take off, and I thought, oh, this is what people want to see. So that's what I did. And um, then years later, uh, in around 2015, I started, uh, I came up with a concept for a fanzine. And I thought, these ads are so great, I have to get them back on paper. So I created a fanzine called Drive-In Asylum. And uh, now, it, that was 2015. We're still going strong. We're just about to do our 22nd issue. And we also have done five specials as well. Um, Sam writes for Drive-In Asylum, so do a whole bunch of other cool people, and I'm hoping that you will one day, Patrick. Um, My arm could be twisted. No, I love <laughs> your work. I, I, I've, been, I've been fascinated peeling back the layers of this very strange little onion. I love it. I love it. It's great stuff. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I was the same way with the movie section. Because back in the day, kids, when you actually had movies, <laughs> movie sections to newspapers, like they ran the most atrocious ads I mean, they like to grab those graphic '80s ads, you yeah. know, like that, like, and and they had ads for porn in there too. And it was just, just another day in the newspaper, and it's not like that anymore. Sam Panico, you've been very quiet. You're you're a wrestler. Twenty five years, yeah. That's amazing. How did you two guys meet? Oh boy, uh, I think we met through our friend Ryan Clark. Um, Ryan introduced me to Bill and said, oh, you should meet Bill. I think cause I, I think maybe it was because of Thrill Kill Cult, maybe that we both were into it, or just he thought that we would be in the same orbit also, you know, that I've been obsessed with movies. My movie obsession is even weirder because I grew up Catholic, and uh, I was obsessed with reading the Pittsburgh Catholic because they always had the Catholic reviews of movies, 
Right there with you, Sam. I'm right there with you, Sam. 17 years of Catholic school. I know exactly. I would go to the paper to find out what we're not supposed to watch. Look, this must be good. I was allowed to write letters to Father Peter Horton, who is the Pittsburgh Catholics uh, reviewer, uh, telling him that I didn't agree with his reviews. But if you look back at the 1981 uh, movies that received an O for morally offensive, uh, Amityville 2 is on the list, which is one of my top 10 favorite movies ever. So it's like, which it is the most anti Catholic movie ever. So. Uh, <laughs> I, I realize now that all the movies that got O's were movies that were really important to me. And um, and then I would lay the Pittsburgh Catholic and then the Post-Gazette together and just read the – Bill always reprints now the drive-in ads. And I would dream – I grew up in Elwood City, which is like an hour away. And when you're like five or six, it may as well be four hours from Pittsburgh. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, yeah, six blocks is a million miles. And I would dream of young. going to places like the Dependable or, uh, the you know, the uh, <laughs> Highway 5 and, like, you know, the, the bigger ones. And then, like, I would always ask my dad, like, what's this movie, Maneater, that's playing at the Dependable? And then I would randomly get slapped and uh, say, you're never going to the Dependable. Uh, I have several times. It's not the same, obviously, now. Of course, yeah. Of course. If you, if you follow Groovy Doom, I am always, one of my favorite my favorite things about the Groovy Doom site and the Groovy Doom page is finding out what's playing at the Dependable, the drive-in porno theater. <laughs> well, I love that there's always a PG or light R that plays with it, which legally had to play with it. Usually Lady Frankenstein, as of late, Bill, is always playing with them. <laughs> my favorite lineup at the Dependable that you ran an ass <laughs> I know what you're going to say, and this is awesome. I know, I know you know what you're going to say. I can't remember exactly what the pornos were, but it was like hot Asian babes, anal intrusion, and a chorus line, the movie. Dan, 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 dan. My favorite is tentacles played, so it was like testicles plus tentacles. That's my all-time favorite double feature. <laughs> yeah, the dependable wasn't uh, actually within the city limits. That That was further from the city, and they had their own local ordinance where you weren't allowed to show exclusively pornography. Oh, okay, that explains so, a lot. Um, you know, they didn't want to draw an audience for their non-porn film, so they would put it third, and it was always something that was PG or something that they could get for free from the local... Um, American International Pictures had a film depot in Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. So I think w those weird titles like um, Ms. Frankenstein and uh, Frankenstein's mm -hmm. Nightmare... Bloody Waters. Those are all uh, titles for movies like um, Bloody Waters is Tintorera and Ms. Frankenstein has got to be Lady Frankenstein. So these were movies that they just went and picked up at the film depot and they probably didn't pay right, for that's... it. So they weren't allowed to advertise the actual title. I, I realize now that I'm older too, I did a lot of what John Waters talked in one of his books about cutting out all the ads and making like a scrapbook of all the drive-in ads or the the, the theaters in Baltimore, the, the movies that he mm. wouldn't get to see. And I realized I did the same thing as a kid where I was like, someday I'm going to see Maniac. You know, I'm eight years old in Elwood <laughs> City. Like, how am I ever going to get to see Maniac? And now I can just load it up at any moment. It's behind me here in this giant library of movies. That's what Drive-In yeah. Asylum is. That was my concept for the fanzine is it's a scrapbook that we make for you of all cutouts of all these movies. Uh, you see lots of collages of vintage newsprint ads and some film commentary in nice. there too. So um, interviews with people. Um, that's what we nice. do. You should and check also, us out. And I, and I have to say, I have to recommend their double, sometimes triple feature movie nights on Saturday are a hoot. Always a great crowd in the chat. <laughs> I think at a certain point, I'm like, I've seen everything or at least have heard of everything. They got, these guys pull out some doozies out of nowhere and they're great. 
They're, I mean, awful, but great. There's wonderful stuff, like stuff I'd never heard of. If you really want to push your uh, um, um, expand your range, this Groovy Doom is a nice place to do it. Okay. So, boys, like I said, this is a nightmare closet episode. And I was talking to uh, Bill and Sam beforehand, and I said, this particular movie, the scars of this one are so deep. I couldn't have been more than three when this popped up on broadcast TV uncut. My older brother was probably watching it or something. It scared me so bad. I had nightmares for months. My older sibling tormented me for years about this movie. Forgot all about it. Somewhere around 2010, I was in a video store and I saw the DVD. I should pick this up. I should probably check this out again. I broke out in a cold sweat, waiting online to pay for it. Little little voice in my head going, put it back, put it back, put it back, put it back, put it back. Couldn't remember a thing about the movie, but you knew that it scared the living shit out of me. And the movie we're talking about is the 1971 film Brotherhood of Satan. I realized I never mentioned that. We're talking about Brotherhood of Satan. <laughs> it is a very creepy film. And Page, but the thing is, Channel 9 and Channel 11 were great for doing that back in the day. They'd run these gruesome films uncut during the day. I had a similar experience with uh, Silent Night, Bloody Night, the Mary Morinoff one. <sighs> Is that the right one? Is that the right title? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Thank you. <laughs> I played for Sam. I was just, I was like, wait. No, I was waiting. Yeah, it's Mary Warren. I was like my bat signal. And when you say her name, like I'm busting through the door. Maybe more like Kool-Aid, man. She's a goddess. She can, she can do no wrong. She can do no wrong. Absolutely. Yeah, so, <sighs> this movie is still hard for me to watch. It's a PG movie. Really? It's really not that scary. I mean, it's 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 not a it's a good movie. I have to say, it's, it's for something that's kind of been forgotten. All right, you know what? I'm babbling, and that means I've forgotten my own format. Because you know what, boys? I want to play a game. Oh, this sounds exciting. I would like to play a game with Sam Panico. Sam Panico, I need you to give me a nice, tight. Plot summary of Brotherhood of Satan. Do not try to cram the whole movie into 30 seconds. It's not going to work. I'm a movie executive. We're in an elevator. You've got 30 seconds. Pitch me that script. The clock starts now. How about somebody made Manus the Hands of Fate but put some money into it? And And, uh, instead of having a... (laughs) (laughs) Now you know what to expect. (laughs) Okay, okay. Clock starts again. Go. (laughs) Okay. Uh... A guy and his girlfriend are on a vacation with his daughter, taking him to Grandma's house. But instead of going through the woods, they go through a very strange town. It's filled with some old people. And as we've learned from all 70s satanic movies, you can't trust old Hollywood or old people because something bad's happening. And uh, there's a Brotherhood of Satan. And uh, they come across it, and hijinks ensue. Well done, Sam. Well done, Sam. I had a little time left on the clock. Uh, Bill. That that works. Anything you want to add to that? The clock starts now. Um, I would say that it's definitely uh, an evil children movie, which is one of my favorite genres of horror films, because uh, children are all fundamentally evil in some way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This, this movie this crams a lot into one very... It... <sighs> they might smile nicely, 
but they, there's always something going on there that you're not aware of until they're it's always, They're always waiting to flick a booger on you. It's just one of those things. They're awful. They're horrible. They're horrible. Yeah. I know they're they're they covered in germs. They want to slam them on you. They're horrible, horrible creatures. Yeah, I would say that the town of Hillsboro is a town that is cursed. We get dropped mid-movie into a town that is in the midst of this horrible crisis. Everything is just dreadful, and the movie refuses to tell us what's going on. And uh, all we know is that a lot of people are dying, a lot of kids are disappearing, and everybody's trapped. And the Satan. Bill and I have a theory about these towns. This town, Point Doom, Santa Mira, they're all right <laughs> next to each other. They're all within like the same... Like, if, like You say, like, next exit, Point Doom, and it's like... So yeah. bad stuff happens, but you're in, like, the bad state. You're in Northern California. This is the worst bus tour we have ever been on. <laughs> Fuck this. Yeah. Well, we just saw Peter Peter Fonda being chased by devil worshippers up the road. We thought things were going to get better here, and they yeah. didn't get any better. Amityville is across the country, and I guess we're lucky because of that. That's a hoax. I grew up there. That's all shit. That's shit. Of course it's That's a bullshit. hoax. These, but these places are real. These places are real. People have to believe in it, and you can't tell anybody that the Amityville horror isn't isn't true. I mean, aside from the fact that things like that don't really happen or we know about it, um, it's, it was admitted by the lawyer that the Lutzes were, you know, they were behind on their mortgage. They were underwater on their on their house, and they're like, how can we pay off this house? Oh, devil I know. Pigs. We'll the old devil book. pig routine. Yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. I, I love that they did it. I mean, I, I don't begrudge them for doing that one. Bit. Whatever works, whatever works. Okay. Um, one of the things I do love about this movie, and I can see how this would totally be frustrating, is that it refuses to tell you what's going on. It plops you mid-movie yeah. into a story, and – even the even at the end, the main characters nobody knows what's going on. Like one person knows what's going on, and it's not you. That's the seventies, though. Seventies PG horror, occult horror, is like everybody's going to die. Nobody's going to know why they died, and every and the only good things that happen to people are to the bad guys. And that's I love why and I like this is another so thing. This is another thing that taps into like growing up when I did, and you you guys will know what I'm talking about. There's that certain period of movies, this certain style of movie that would be on at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday when an innocent child would stumble across. That These kinds of movies that have imagery that's so fucking weird that even as an, oh, even yeah. as an adult you can't process it. But as a kid, it doesn't make any sense at all. So it's triply scary. But what, what year was this about when you saw stuff like this on TV? Do you remember? I was not in kindergarten yet. So this is before 1975. Okay. Because in the in the later seventies, early eighties, there was a package of exploitation drive-in movies that was sold to syndication, and a lot of stations picked it up. One of the stations that picked it up was WOR mm-hmm. from New York, and that happened to be a super station that we could get in Pittsburgh. So that's where I saw a lot that's of this right. stuff. And you're right; it was bizarre and this this imagery. And you know, as a child. You really don't know how to process Even as an adult, you don't know exactly. how to process it. As a child, you're just... Yeah, and the movie's yeah. not giving you any help. I mean, it eventually starts to explain things, but it takes its sweet time. I mean, it's, it's a good hour into the movie before you even know what's happened in the town. Like, why is everybody so freaked out? I think it's... These movies are good training for David Lynch movies because, like, people that aren't from that world, they're like, oh, these movies don't make any sense. I'm like, dude, I grew up watching 70s horror, like... I can catch on real quick to stuff like that. Don't have to explain stuff out. to me. I like writing my own stories too. It doesn't matter if you're right or if you're wrong. It's just 
fill in the blanks yourself. <laughs> this movie does have something to say, though. That there is a point that can be discerned from this. David Lynch movies sometimes, you know, there is no point, and that's the yeah. point. Yeah. Okay. This movie wastes no fucking time. This opening scene is absolutely bananas. Boys, could you tell me what happens in the opening <laughs> scene of Brotherhood of Satan? Oh, it's it's horrible. Those poor people. Who could have seen that coming? Seen what coming? For the people who haven't seen the movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's, I will say it. I was being polite. It's a, it, it, it's a, it, um, a family is crushed by a tank. And um, you see it happen on camera, and it's, a, you know, there's nothing, like, horribly explicit. There's no popping sound with a squirt of blood or anything, but, you know. It's horrifying. It's no two thousand. It's not like two thousand no, maniacs no, or anything. Yeah, yeah you, see, you see, you see a family, a whole family, getting crushed to death in their station wagon by a tank. But the thing is, the opening shot establishes that it's a toy tank. You see a toy tank <laughs> sitting on by the side of the road, and you know it's a toy tank because they put a coke bottle next to it for scale, which I thought was very nice of them. But it's clearly yeah. a toy tank. And next thing you know, there's a real tank. You're plowing over this car, and you're you're not seeing just seeing the treads, and you're seeing metal getting crushed, and you're hearing the family screaming, you're hearing the kids screaming in agony and terror, and it's awful. That's the worst part. And then it backs up, which I think is even better. I'm like, it backed up, <laughs> it backed up. <laughs> I think evil toys come into life was something that freaked me out as a kid because it happened in uh, Twilight Zone, and it happened in Extra too, where the action man figure kind of oh yeah comes comes and starts killing, and it's like. The fact that my toys could turn against me really yeah, upset yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did we mention they're evil toys? There's so much going on in this movie. Everybody's <laughs> getting killed by toys in this film, and it's not cool. Except it is. It's great. It, it, okay, so oh, this family's crushed, except not all of them are crushed. What happens? Uh, well, well, wait a minute. Were, were there, I guess the children escaped. One, from the car, one child they? escaped. The, Randy okay. Jones, the cowboy guy from the village people, escaped. <laughs> Yeah, it's a boy okay. in a little yeah. cowboy it, suit, it, and he picks up and he's and you see him crawl out of the wreckage unscathed and also un non plused no shock, no surprise, no fear, nothing, just blank, blank, zombie like even. Yeah, and he goes, he picks up his, his toy tank, and there are three creepy kids waiting there for him. One of them has a music box, and they all just stare at each other in silence and walk off together. And this is the opening scene of the movie, so you're completely at sea the first time you, you've uh, witnessed it, and you, you don't know where the movie's coming from. And like you said earlier, I, I love movies like that. It's a little bit – it relies more on the intelligence of the viewer to be Right, right. This, this movie spe- spoon feeds you nothing. It's a shocking opening scene, and it's got everything. It's got killer toys. It's got tanks. It's got – People being mangled. It's got creepy kids. It's got a creepy kid with a music box, and it's got one of those la 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 soundtracks when the title comes up. I'm already shooting my pants. Reminds me of Deep Red. Yes, yes. So then we cut to this birthday party with our main cast. Yes. Tell me about tell me about this little happy family that we have going on here, boys. Uh, well, let's see. There's there's a daddy and a little girl. Ben, yeah, and uh, K- KT is the girl. I do have a fact about her, Bill. Yes, she is the fake. She's Jerry the fake Rachel. Jan Brady. Yes, yeah, she in her is. First, in her first, in her first film role, we don't like her anymore. 
No? <laughs> she refused, she refused, she refuses like to talk to Bill about I Just Remember Mama. And we used to be – Jerry Reich and I used to be really good friends back on MySpace. And when I asked her to come on and talk about this movie, she didn't even answer me. I'm like, I take back every bit of energy. I gave you fake Jan. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and you don't, understand, the, you don't understand how crushing that is because I, I was one of those children who who religiously watched the Brady Bunch Variety Hour. I lived for every kickball change, every step uh, touch, all that bullshit, unironically. Jerry Rachel was also in I Dismember Mama, and which is one of my favorite films. I've never seen it, but the title the, is fucking brilliant. Oh, it's it, it, this movie is wacky. That one is just a sickie. <laughs> and, of course, I love it. Um, and... She, you know, she had she was a, a child actor at just the right time to to be in these, you know, cult oddities. I really love to talk to her about it. So Jerry, if you're out there listening, I'm looking for you. And uh, his girl yeah. is. You go, Sam. No, you're the guest. You have the right no, way. Go. go. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, my my so person polite. that I was shocked to see in it is Nick, Nikki, uh, who is Anya Capri. She's uh, Mr. Han's secretary. From Enter the Dragon, so one would assume because Mr. Hand has no hands that she's the one that has to wipe him and keep him regular uh, as part of her secretarial duties. So, what a fabulous role she's also in. He said uh, duties and wipe in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be that kind of night. Yeah, and she's also in Bingo Wong and uh, the Traveling All Star Motor Kings. She's a prostitute in that. It's, it's KT's birthday. It's the daughter's birthday. So we see a birthday party. I love some of the kids. Some there's some goon some goon looking kids and some really really seventies looking ass goon kids, but not the point right now. But then they cut to the scene in a park and the kids off playing, Katie's off playing, and the parents are making out on a park bench. And I have to say, this scene is hot for a PG movie. They are an attractive couple. Like it was, You can see right up his well, pants if oh, you haven't oh, noticed. Believe yeah. me, believe me, I was very I was very there for the upskirt shot on, on, on Ben. I was interested yeah. too. My theory is he's divorced 70s dad because that's his girlfriend, and like he just got out of the marriage, and he's like, do you know what I mean? Like Now I have really hot... They covered that. They covered that. She's she dead. dead. She died six years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think he's just getting into it again, though, and this yeah. is... Do you know what I mean? And it's like, he just can't even wait for his daughter's birthday party to be over. He's like, I'm just going to do it in public. Because <laughs> it's the 70s, and you yeah. can do that back then. Only, it was, it's only stopped by a sudden rain, which comes from a couple of garden hoses. Oh, it, it's totally garden hose rain. It's totally garden hose rain. I was going to say it was stopped by a drippy snow cone, to be, if you really want to be. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, too. Never a good thing. Always a mood killer. <laughs> God damn it, Jerry Reichel. <laughs> do not drip your do not drip your your snow cone on love making couples. It's not okay. It's not okay. The thing is, like I said, I was horrified buying this DVD. And as you, I was watching it, heart going pitter patter, pitter patter, pitter patter, just waiting. And then the scene in the car happens. This scene in the car is almost birdemic. Like it's this like seven minute scene of them driving in silence, and all you got is music like. <laughs> That's pretty good. Oh, bl- you have watched this recently? Uh, no, well, yes, I did. I was watching it the other night. But the thing is, I, kids, you don't understand. You don't. The kids, kids today don't understand that. Yes, yes, you'd be driving around with your parents, and that is exactly what they'd be listening to. My parents listen to that shit. <laughs> Oh, 
I'm a big fan of movies that start with an overly long driving scene or walking scene. I was scene. actually flummoxed when I watched it the first time. Well, as an adult, the first time going, why is this scene so long? As Why is nothing going on? Watching it this time, I realized there is shit going on. They're just not saying anything. Like, they keep, it's a very tight close-up of Ben. You can see he's very uncomfortable. Like, I don't know where we are. Yeah, they've, they've, some strange metaphysical thing has happened to them while they've been driving. And, uh, you know, he's, they're, not, they're not where he thought they were supposed to be. And it all... <laughs> they drove through the Bermuda Triangle. It all goes down. He's a guy, he's a guy in there. the 70s, so he's not going to say nothing. So he's, you can see him getting more increasingly uncomfortable. Uh, Anna, Anna, what's her name? Nikki. Anna Capri yeah, Anna getting Capri, uncomfortable. Yeah. The kid gets uncomfortable so much that she comes up at the front, but nobody's saying anything. And you just the, the radio starts to start cutting in, and I'm going, okay, you are building tension here in just this weird kind of way because you're going, somebody say something! They forgot their AAA trip tick. That's the big problem. The giant map that you had to get printed out yeah, at yeah. AAA when you went on a trip. All th- Free map quest. All three, of, all three of their cell phones had lost charge, so they didn't. They weren't able to GPS it. Yeah. So. <laughs> and again, when this is something that again isn't apparent when you watch it the first time, but like all of this is predestined. Like they are, they are meant to be going to this awful town. Where all where all the things are happening, right? It's beyond their control. Yeah, yeah they, they were already mm-hmm. doomed. They were doomed, and it wasn't even groovy. Well, actually, the music was groovy. I'll give them some groovy music. <laughs> it is. Pretty it, was, groovy. it was not the bride opening music, I groovy, think. but it was still pretty groovy. <laughs> oh, oh. Anytime there's there, there's a romantic travelogue type thing, um, that music that's behind it is, is going to be good. No matter what it is, if it's from the seventies, magic. And they come, they wind up coming across the accident of the of the uh, of the, of the, the tank. Ah! She has a great reaction. <laughs> and they can't get anyone to to listen to them in the in the town when they try and go. Well, because nobody it. gives a shit about the accident because they're more interested in the fact that people showed up in town. Because what we learn, what we start to learn. But they show up and they're like, hey, we want to report an accident. And they wind up having guns drawn on them by the police. And then little by little, the whole town starts to come out and it's just mobbing them like crazy people. They don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on. What we learn as the movie goes on is that nobody has been able to get into or out of the little town of Hillsboro for three days. All communications are down. Everybody who tries to leave dies or gets turned back somehow. It's like in The Legacy when Catherine Ross and Sam Elliott Everywhere they drive, they end up back at that. Yeah, but well, we didn't there. get any Kiki D this time. We didn't get orchestral Kiki D this time. Don't get me started on Kiki D. They're like, oh shit, he's gonna go on Kiki D again. No, I'm not gonna. No, no I had a rant on Kiki D last time. <laughs> this town's right next to Potter's Bluff from uh, yes. Dead and Buried too. So <laughs> it's another another one of those towns that you will die if you go there. Not to mention, you can check it. You can you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave Hillsboro. No, you can't. Not this week. The Eagles made it out, but that's it. Not this it. weekend. Not this weekend. Yes, this like whole mob thing that happens. They just get swarmed, like, and then then, then Fidel Castro shows up with an axe. <laughs> that's when things really get interesting. Yeah, they they, they, they try to kill these, these people, and and they get back in the car and they drive away. And I just love Anna uh, Nikki's line. But 
what made them yeah, mad. You know what? Who gives a shit at that point? Get the fuck out of town, girl. Just go. Keep driving. Keep driving. But of course, they're they're in the cur- they're they're trapped now. They get only so far, and creepy girl with music box shows up in the middle of the road and drives them off, and they get a flat tire, and they have to walk all the way back to town. That part's very Children of the Corn. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps Stephen King saw this movie or Messiah of Evil or <laughs> another one is adapted into okay. that. Okay, we can't do a music box. Why don't we do some kind of vegetable? Right okay. it up. <laughs> Children of the <laughs> Children of the Succotash. No, 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 no. Children of the Yams. Children, no. <laughs> I, I like Children of the Yams. It's like Children of the Dams, you know? <laughs> yeah. Village of the Yams. You better copyright that one pretty quickly. <laughs> sweet potato pie. You're thinking of the sweet potato pie. Nobody knows what we're talking about. That sounds like a movie they pitched to Leslie Nielsen after Repossessed. Like you could let's make Village of the Yam and he's like too silly. Yeah, that's, Even that was that was too much for you. He's like, Well you have reached the Leslie sorry, Nielsen limit. That's just ridiculous. The the other thing too is the sheriff uh, that they talked to is L. Q. Jones who wrote and yes. produced this movie. Yes. Um, yes, and what I thought was interesting too, like the director of the okay, now I have none of my notes in front of me because I had a disaster beforehand. Uh, directed by this guy, uh, Bernard McEvely. Evely. Yeah. Who was the uh, assistant director of uh, Return of yes. Dracula? He was the second unit director of it, and he also directed uh, Jodie Foster in her first film, Disney's Napoleon and Samantha. Wow. wow. <laughs> what I was just noticing was that I, I, he. Nothing really stood out. It was tons and tons and tons and tons of brilliant TV credits, like Gunsmoke. Every like worked on every Western show, worked on every uh, military show, and you know for for you know forty fifty years. And so did everybody else in the cast. All these people seemed to know each other. Like there just seemed to be certain projects that crossed. So this seemed to be a labor of love. Yeah, I always think of these movies that these are the ones that like while they were sitting around waiting for pickups on like an episode of Simon and Simon, they're like, but what if we did this? And like, yeah, let's let's We're get out in some and do shitty it. backwater town for the next three weeks. I'm not called for four days. What can we do? Yeah, LQ Jones has a really crazy history because he uh, was a pro football and baseball player, uh, and then he went to Nicaragua to uh, do ranching and like left behind America. And his high school or his college roommate was Fess Parker, the oh, yeah. uh, famous uh, Davy Crockett. So Fess Parker wrote to him and said, hey, there's a lot to going on in Hollywood. Maybe you should come out here. Right. So uh, and he did. And, and the dream <laughs> and, uh, began. And he was in a ton, yeah, he was in a ton of, the same way, like uh, a ton of Western stuff. And he ended up lucking out and being one of Sam Peckinpah's guys. And that's what he's kind that's of really That's the other thing for. I was going to say. Every, almost everybody in this worked with Peckinpah. So, yeah, so that's, and that's. Who is in one of my favorite, he's in The Visitor, so Peckinpah unites all things. Oh, yeah. Another one of our favorites. Yeah, so this this movie has a certain vibe to it. Like it does, it it feels like a western, though it's not a western. There's a kind of stoicness to it, but yet it it goes places that are very surprising, and that's why I like it. What like one of the things I said is that you get dropped into the middle of a movie, and what I loved is that everybody in the town that is not the main the main family, they're past scared. They're exhausted. They're exhausted. They're done. We discover that what is it? Twenty six people have died. In three days, six entire families wiped out and like eight, like 11 kids missing. And something that is oddly easy to miss because nobody ever mentions it or makes a big deal out of it. It's just 
the way things are right now is that we have a bunch of scenes in the town ice house. And the thing that's odd about the town ice house these days is that there's not much ice in it, but there's a whole lot of bodies. The ice house is stacked floor to ceiling with human bodies. And this isn't one of them is in like a Ziploc bag or something. It's just awful. It's awful. Like what these people have been through in the past three days is insane. They're done. Every, yeah, something really bad. Everybody's going on burnt. There. They're burnt. Like they're, they're past panic. They're past all that stuff. They're past panico. <laughs> they had to be. Fair. You're welcome. <laughs> and it's an interesting vibe. They're just done. Everybody's done, and it's an interesting spot to start a movie from. It's really weird. I love whenever like a, a sitcom star comes into it and plays a terrified person. Like I, I know Alvy Moore Green from Growing Up Watching Green Acres. <laughs> <laughs> And I, it's a show. I'm obsessed. I sing the song all the time as I'm cleaning. I don't know why. Of course, now I'm picturing Sam in like a floor length, you know, penoir with like Mary Bruce leaves. <laughs> yeah. Dog, I love it. I like to wear those like really high like gloves. <laughs> I well, I love that song because when I was a kid, I always thought Eddie Albert was the hero of it. But really, his wife was accustomed to this lifestyle. And all of a sudden, he was like, no, now you have to do what I want. So I kind of see him as a villain. to my will, like, woman. If there yeah. is a villain. The villain of Green Acres. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And, but, yeah, so he's in it. And then you have Strother Martin, too, who is, yeah. uh, you know, we have a failure to communicate oh, himself. Oh, yeah, yeah, from, um, from Cool Hand Luke. And, yeah, it's got a great cast to it. Uh, and yet, the thing I the thing I really dig about this movie is it's the same reason why I like Amityville too so much is like the priest is completely ineffective like he's like he kind of has maybe some idea of what's going on but he's completely in yeah, over his I head. Actually, yeah, he just can't deal I with it. I actually like the priest because the priest is right, but everybody's past the point of listening. <laughs> they're just like we don't because you know, the other thing is they're past the point of theories because they're in an impossible situation. None of this makes sense. None of you has nobody has information. People are dying left and right. This is awful. They're, they're pet. They're at that point in the movie where everyone's kind of giving up. We're all gonna die. You heard? Yeah, I heard. Some people got in, and the car was completely crushed. That's like an eggshell. And of course, little Demi's missing. Probably. What's the difference? What the hell's the difference, Doc? And that's why everyone's so excited when somebody gets into town. It's over! It's over! His curse is broken! No. We find out later that the only reason that they got into the town is because they needed another child. We'll get it. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. Oh, am I getting no, too no, far? No, no, no. Just, just, I try to keep things streamlined because if you jump around too much, it gets confusing for people who haven't seen it. Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna be hosting a screening of it. Hope so. Hopefully this will play it up for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. awesome! Um, no, I love Strother Martin in this. He's great in both sides of his characters because he he's a town doctor and he's just serving he's just serving like your old school old shucks all American good guy. I'm here to help the kids and the birth- one you can trust. I, yeah, exactly. Everybody trusts Doc, and that's the one person in town you cannot trust because this is all. It's all I, I think know. that's the western part of that's really great too because he's very um you you accept that's why I always talk about old Hollywood actors being evil in 70s satanic movies because you're conditioned to accept them and love them because they're part of the celebrity yeah. culture of the 70s and suddenly they turn it on its head. He's also in uh 
I, I'm gonna mispronounce it, but <laughs> he uh, the snake movie, which came out two years later. Yeah, and you know what, Sam? How dare you bring that movie up to a game? Okay, listen, well, Sam, I, I'm missing the tooth Sam, right Sam, now. Sam, so. Do you understand what it must have been like to be a gay child who loved horror movies to walk up to that box office at a theater and like I'd like a ticket to see? I grew up in Owen City and talk like Green Acres, so I, my uh, my speech problems are are very yeah, bad. But no, he's so. great. What I love about it too, it turns out that he is the leader of the satanic cult that is slowly coming to town. Or is he Satan? It's never like really he set could up. Actually, be the devil. He himself. could be, but he, I don't know. Can, like, <laughs> yeah. but he, keeps, he keeps talking to Dear One. Hello, Dear One. Greeting, Dear One. Tis we. We would enter into your presence. We bow and yield to your greatness. Oh, ye who penetrates the future. Who calls up the past? Who holds for us the days that fly so fast? Hear ye now. The lowly one. The child who has strayed. Yeah. So I'm guessing Satan's outside, but he's in the... He's, Although, you know, who, he, who knows? Unholy Trinity. Who knows? You can make up your own story here. I did for a lot of it this time through. I was like filling in little plot holes. Or not plot holes, but just things that they left to your imagination. But what I love about him as when you're seeing him in his other role in the spooky house, in the cult robes, is that there's not much difference. Yeah, his hair is a little more disheveled, but that's it. Well, girl, say, say, like, let it all out, girl. Come on. That's one of the... One of the he shakes it out before he has that oh, Yeah, role. he does. He yeah. does. But... He doesn't raise his voice much. He's not like this streaking, like stereotypical evil cult melt. He's, just, he's very chill most of the time. He's like, yeah, hey, welcome, children. Come on in. Join us once again for another lifetime in the Brotherhood of Satan. What's going on? Enjoy the canopy. <laughs> but when it does crack up, crank up a notch for him is when the dialogue starts to get heightened. There are certain scenes, which we'll come back to. That borderline, like oldie time language, like almost Shakespearean language, he's playing it for real. He's playing yeah. it with the same intention he would play King Lear. You are come at last. Very unwilling you were to come. You must, proud lady, be whipped to the enterprise and cry and moan for mercy. An outcast to your own blood. Not so... Oh, not so. Rather would I forget myself than forget thee. Degenerate creature. Weakling soul. Is this the result of our master's teaching? What have you in your bowels? Love for thee. Oh, prince of darkness. I gave. By all your holy laws did I live. I Sacrificed. Not once on high holy days did I fail to give thee homage or spread thy story among the uninitiated. Fool. Can you believe that he who has renewed the very blood in your veins, who was your lover, your husband, should fail to see, yet even through the screen of your miserable mouthings and gyrations, the one great blot that covers all else as if it were nothing. I adore thee. 
which is fascinating. I think That's it's great. That's an interesting it, it point. So much... I hadn't considered that, you know, that he was doing like a Shakespearean thing. Since we're here, the scene that really strikes strikes me – we're jumping. We're jumping. Sorry, we're jumping. There is the scene I like to call, who invited her? <laughs> I love that part. Bill knows what I mean. <laughs> that whole scene is great <laughs> because what's been happening – like the, the, these deaths keep happening. Kids keep disappearing. And I noticed this time around, every, it, it, the kids – the deaths happen every time a new old person shows up at the party. Yeah. They have to claim their kid when they come in. So, yeah, so, so we're, we're, there's this gathering, an increasingly large group of seniors in this creepy house in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden, somebody enters. Another old person enters. This old woman enters, and the party just stops. <laughs> yeah, needle drop. Heads are, heads are snapping. <laughs> Heads are snapping, and then they go back to their bitchy conversations like she wasn't there. And I'm like, oh, who's this? Who invited her? <laughs> She's a mess. There is <laughs> satanic shade is being thrown all over this party. Mm-hmm. And she, I went to a, I went to a really horrible OTO party once, which is Anton, not at Lavey's, but uh, uh, OTO. Yeah, Crowley's group. There's an OTO group in Pittsburgh. I don't and, know what that means. Uh, it's a or. Yeah, Alistair oh, Crowley's okay. group. Yeah, Ordo Templar or Alice. And, like, you would think going to a solstice party with a bunch of witches would be exciting. And it's literally just as boring as going to hang out with church people. <laughs> like, all they did was they went, they were watching Blondie bootlegs and eating guacamole. Like, everybody had their own bowl of guacamole. And they kept trying to get me to eat some. And I was like, no. Was it evil guacamole? No, it, was, guacamole? <laughs> it wasn't. And I asked somebody, I'm like, do you guys have any drugs? Uh, and they were like, guacamole? <laughs> They said, all we have is this really old weed, and I was like, I will smoke all of it because this party is so boring. <laughs> they, were eating, they were eating blue crab and guacamole and just uh, watching Blondie videos. No fun. But not, anyway. Not anyway, the party I back expected. Back to the movie. Yeah, sorry. Back to the movie. Back to the movie. Back to the movie. She comes in, and it causes this whole scene. Like, it is clear she ain't welcome at this party no more. My second favorite part of the scene is when she find that she's got a replacement. Like, she's talking to everyone. She's like, oh, hello. It's so great to see you again. Everyone's like, mm, hi. <laughs> Awkward. And nice try. And then all of a sudden, Phyllis shows up, this gorgeous redhead, and I'm like, who invited her? <laughs> this is great. <laughs> How lovely to see you again, Alice. Uh, Dame Alice? Yes, isn't it? But I don't think you've met Phyllis. Hello. All of a sudden, it turns into the women for a while. I'm like, ooh, this is just, just, just. clearly like, hi, I'm the new one. <laughs> like when new Becky showed up on Roseanne. They make the bad one <laughs> beg, too. Like, they're so cruel to her. But they make her think she has a chance, maybe, if she if she begs hard enough. I'm only playing the audio for this because all of their dialogue, the two, when she's pleading to Strother Martin to, to be saved, and he's condemning her, it is completely played straight but played perfectly it's not too big it's not too small it's actually conversational which makes it powerful as fuck speaking of my life with the throw kill cult um that dialogue that you're talking about ended up a sample in a bunch of their songs i know (laughs) i know i know i know about throw kill cult don't you try to throw throw kill kill, cult but i can't speak i'm gonna keep drinking did you know that i've worked with throw kill cult now you won. Now you won. You just won. Go on. I was on three Thrill Kill called albums. I, I, Were you? I did a remix on the Golden Pills, uh, their remix album from 2001. 
um, I did, it, there was a, um, an unofficial release through the fan club called Dance Infernal. I had a mix on there, and I was on their album Death Threat from 2009. Sweet. Sweet. Okay. I need to talk about some of these childhood trauma things. Please. One of the things that was fascinating, when I was watching it again for the first time as an adult, things were coming back to me. One of the, one of the main images that, that, that stuck with me was the kids on pedestals. That scared the shit out of me for some reason. Yeah. But as I was watching the movie, again, a scene would start and like a little warning bell would start to go off in the back of my head going something really bad. This is bad. This is bad. Like some part of me still fucking remembered the movie. And the first one was the scene with Princess. Princess. The world's ugliest doll. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> now I know what you mean. That scene is fucked. Do you have doll trauma? <laughs> doll trauma is the worst. Yeah. It's weird. The doll doesn't do nothing. It doesn't walk. It doesn't talk. It's just ugly. It's just, I actually wrote shit in my head that didn't happen in the movie. Like, I remember this. There's, there's a really close-up in the thing, and everybody starts bleeding, and there's this horrible sound, and it hurt my ears. There's no sound. It cries. <laughs> doesn't it cry? It does cry. It does cry. It does cry. It's weird. But yeah, it, it, yeah. The, 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 what's happening is, like I said, these kids' dolls are all of a sudden just coming to life and killing and we get to see it happen with the dead meat family. Yeah, that that scene really bothered me the first time I saw it because it's like the children, you don't really understand at first that the children are in on it and they're causing it and it's disturbing. Oh, I didn't get that at all. I mean, I mean to the point I don't think they I mean, hmm. aren't they aren't they in on it? You know what? If in your version <laughs> they are. Oh, fine. In mine they're not. My, my read of it, it's an uh, analog for Charles Manson. The your children will come at you with knives, and you taught them. <laughs> yeah, because we get to spend some time with these kids, and they're awful in the best way. They're all they're both awful. They're both horrific children. Guess <laughs> the children because they're, they're just naturally evil. But she's got this hideous doll that she calls Princess. And man, 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 uh, what I did love about her, I'm like, I realized this time through, I'm like, ah. Uh, that kid took scissors to the doll's head like a kid would do. That's why the doll's so fucking ugly. It's got one, that's why the doll's so fucked up looking. But she, at some point, she's in her bed, and she's like, Princess, I told you we had to do this before we went to bed. Why did you wait till now? You're a naughty girl. Would you say that Princess has um, Susan Tyrell's haircut from Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker? You know what? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. How dare you? How dare you? And you're not wrong. <laughs> And then the kid poured milk all over her face and then licked it off her neck. So, <laughs> no, but Princess has to pee. Princess has to pee. Princess in the pee. Princess got to pee. And while Princess is peeing, I actually put her in the bathroom and the kid just kind of passes out. And then everything happens. Next thing you know, the doll's in the living room and the parents just look at it and they kind of explode. They have seizures. And it's really fucked up. And I don't know why. It's that 70s kind of way. It's just so strange because the doll's not doing anything. It's not attacking them. It's not cackling. It's not Chucky. It's just there. Just this presence alone can kill. What scared the shit out of me? It's all suggestion. Hi, this is Patrick from the future again. What I wanted to say about this scene, which I found incredibly effective and still scares me, um, it's that it's, it's mundane. All the deaths in this are mundane. I mean, even being crushed by a tank. And plus, you don't get help. 
from the soundtrack because there's never any music at these key points. It's just there you are. And like I said, what's happening here is um, the parents, the mother and the father, are bereft because we found out that the, the sisters, the wife's sister and her family were the ones who were crushed by the tank earlier this afternoon. And it's another dead family in this town, and it's one more step closer to disaster. The father, they're both sitting in the living room. The father is reading aloud passionately from which something that sounds like the Bible, but it's not the Bible. I don't know what it is. It's some religious book. And while he's droning on and on, the wife looks over, tears in her eyes, and she's got one of those 70s faces that's a perfect mask of tragedy, like she's the perfect, the perfect actress in this role. And he's droning on and on, and she looks over and sees the doll suddenly in the middle of the room, just standing there. And her face begins to contort. And you know, fro- her expression frozen in terror, and she's having some kind of seizure. You know, something's happening to her on the inside that we can't see, but you can see from her face that it's horrible, that it's painful, that it's horrific. And the and the husband just keeps droning on and on and on. The woman dies, and this shithead's still reading. It just made me so sad about this horrible thing to happen to somebody. And the person right next to them doesn't even know. Ooh, spooky. Don't like it. Back to the show. Oh, plus, these, these two actors that play the parents, this is the 70s, so the people, they were casting regular-looking people, and these are very regular-looking people, and you're getting tight, loving close-ups of their faces while they're contorting, and they, they, were, they were ugly to start with, and it just got uglier. It's all bad. It's all bad. It's very strange. Well, they're Princess's parents, so yeah, <laughs> they passed it on to her. It, so now it's so now it's so now it's Hamlet. So now <laughs> yeah. it's killed the king and the queen. Princess is ascending to the throne. There's a lot more going on in this movie than than you read on the surface. Absolutely, like I started to realize, like when does shit happen? Like when? Because <laughs> what happens when families get wiped out? It's not the whole family. Who gets spared, guys? The children. Specifically? Specifically? Um, I don't remember. Was it the little boy? I meant whenever families, these families are getting killed, it'll be the whole family except if they had a kid that was between the ages of six and nine. Those kids disappear. Yeah, I forgot about the age, the age discrepancy there or, or the age qualifications that you had to be for this satanic cult. I'm sorry, you have to be this tall to ride this exactly, ride. Exactly, yeah. Jeter. They're like the 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 Logan's run of satanic cults. Yeah. <laughs> Was Farrah in it in it as a child, maybe? I don't know. Uh, one could only have How dare you. You know, that's what this movie needed needed Farrah Foss and Major. But anyway. Um yeah, I started wondering like what you see whenever this these scenes happen, you see the adults get killed, you see the the, the families get killed, and then the kids will just Walking, you just see them, they just kind of go blank. And they go outside and they join the rest of the crew of the other children who are waiting for them to take them back to the creepy house. And there's something about seeing kids out alone at night in the dark with no expressions on their faces and not talking that's really unsettling. And that, that was, I didn't understand it the first time I saw this movie, the, the reactions of the children. Like you said, um, I didn't really get it at first, but it, I also had the same problem with Manhattan Baby. The Fulci movie, because it's like the two kids in that also know what the they know what the evil thing is that's happening in their house, but they never tell anyone. And this movie sort of, 
you know, did it pioneer that sort of trope in, in film? I don't know. I, see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that they don't know, that at a certain point they, they're gone. Those kids are gone. Like, they're, like the, when the parents yeah. are gone, they're gone. Basically on how the movie goes, like they're empty vessels for the rest of the sure, movie yeah. waiting to be filled, which is a disgusting thing to say about a child. <laughs> but that's why they're evil, Satan, Satan worshippers. So we're learning – in little snippets of conversation, which I love, like the cocktail conversation at the Satan party. <laughs> oh, you look fantastic. I haven't seen you looking this good in centuries. Do they say that? I don't remember that. Okay, but, but there, there are conversations like, oh, you look great. I mean, oh, I haven't seen you since France. Remember France? Remember, oh, remember that time in France. So you just, this, this has gone on often. And you realize that these people, these old people, are, they're, they're, they're cashing in their chips for another ride on the, on, the, on the eternal life train. And when I say that these people are old, what I really mean to say is that they are ancient. They are thousands of years old. They've extended the life of their, they've lived through the life. What, what, what am I trying to say? Um, it's it's sort of like uh, being John Malkovich, except they they only, there's only one of them inside the heads of these children at the same time. And um, mm, yeah, but I'm just saying they get it like they uh, you know every, every every you know every sixty seventy years they get another chance at life. They have to start all over again, and you know they're all they're all at the point where their warranties are running out. Literally, it's like seconds. It's like seconds with Rock Hudson. They're uh, except. Yeah. We're not seeing it from Rock's point of view. We're seeing it from the kids. There's never actually a moment. Um, that's another thing about this movie um, is there's never a moment where you're entirely sure. I mean, you assume that the, the, that this did take place, but they never actually show it to you, um, which, again, I really love movies that do that, that because whatever you think of in your head is going to be a lot scarier than anything you see on, on screen. Well, you know what? Actually, there are. Th- I noticed this time through. There's a point you talked about the useless priest. There's the, like a, the, the priest who's 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 clued into what's going. He's like he's, he's we've ruled out everything else. The only thing left is, is some kind of witchcraft going on. A coven of witches consists of thirteen people. Eleven. Yes, eleven missing children. Now, if we assume that the coven requires one child for each member, then they needed two more, right? The point we've been overlooking is that each child, each missing child, was in a specific age group from six to nine. But our town was short, one female child. And that's why you got in. They needed your daughter. Now, there are four more little boys in that age group. What do they want with these kids? I don't know. If I'm right, they do need one more. And one of those boys will be next. You understand that, Pete? The next and the last. 
he goes through he goes through a lot of his witchcraft books. The art of the witchcraft books explains what's going on. Nobody says anything, but if you, if you follow the pictures, like, yep, this is what's happening. Like, we haven't seen a lot of this imagery yet, but this this is all adding up. What's happening? And there's a great misdirect. Like, you assume, oh, they're going to get these kids. They're going to kill these kids. And they get another chance at life. And that's exactly not what happens. It's not what happens at all. It's not what happens at all. And it's so horrific what happens. Um, as instead, they, they have to get a child for each of them because they're basically going to be murdered. All these old people are going to be systematically sacrificing themselves to Satan. And then as a reward, they get to take over the body of this child. It's like that kid's soul is gone. That kid's dead. And they get to live in this kid's body for another, for another lifetime. It's about the Satan. I didn't understand that. But I still don't. I mean, I've seen the movie a couple of times, and the, the part at the end, um, I don't understand the people that appear and start slashing them. Like, who are these people? Are these are these demons that have come to claim them? Um, They're from the temp agency. Okay, that explains it. What you never you you never hired a temporary acolyte, really, really, Bill? <laughs> I, you know, it's always too expensive. Well, you know, Strother Martin, he spares no expense. There's no expense. Flaming swords, too. <laughs> yeah, the, the the swords are on fire. It's kind of a blind dead type thing at the end with these hooded figures attacking with swords. And, you know, that that I, I understood that there had to be a sacrifice of, of their elderly bodies that were ready to be. Even, even though some of them weren't even all that old. The redheaded lady wasn't all that old. Phyllis was not. Phyllis was not, but she was replacing what's her ass. <laughs> she got that. Yeah, that was her in. Clearly, whatever has to happen all has to happen at the same time. We can't do this individually. Oh, yeah. We got to do this as a group. There were parts of Phyllis that were that were way older than other parts. She was just trying to. Oh. Yeah, it's yeah. like intervention. I mean, you go now or you don't go at all. So. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, the bus is leaving. Bus is leaving. We don't take no walk-ups. Say not got time for, for, for individual things. Just get it all done in a group. Don't ask that of the dear one. Out. Never ask the dear one for more time. Also, 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 like I said, what, what I said, one of the images that frightened me was that uh, at these cocktail parties that we keep coming back to every time somebody new arrives at, at a party, the missing kids are all standing on these pedestals, motionless, in communion suits. You know, white, uh, white dresses, white veils. You know, they're dressed for sacrifice. And they're not, and they're not responding. They're not doing anything. So you're just assuming we're going to see these kids get slaughtered. I guess I, I guess I did expect that. When the when the script flips, it's I, I I did a screening of it a couple of years ago. People were like, holy shit, I didn't see that coming at all. What the fuck? What the the old people are killing themselves? Holy shit, this is crazy. And it's a PG movie. It's really violent. It's very very disturbing. PG used to be pretty strong, you know. In certain cases, there were. Films that were PGs that, you know, was, was really a stunner. Like, Sam, we've talked about a couple of those. A whole bunch of them. Yeah, The Baby. The Baby. <laughs> <For example>. <laughs> <laughs> the Baby. Satan's Cheerleaders, but I just kept waiting for a softcore porn to break out, and it never did. Prophecy is pretty hard. You see a decapitation in Prophecy, which you really don't think that, that you would see in, in a PG-rated movie today. You wouldn't. Well, you certainly wouldn't see a full-on dick like it did in Can't Stop the Music. Uh, I was going to just say that, but you beat me to it. No pun intended. I will always beat you to the dick, Sam Panico. I will always beat you to the dick. Uh, You know, we'll we'll always be indebted (laughs) to Nancy Walker for that. Uh, Yeah. 
Will we know? <laughs> I certainly will. Will we know? Because according, <laughs> according, according to people who worked on the movie, Nancy Walker refused to be on set any time Valerie Perron was on set. And Valerie Perron was in every goddamn scene, so I don't know who to thank for anything. Cocaine. Just thank cocaine. Just thank cocaine. Just thank cocaine. Just thank, thank you, Coke. The Baskin Robbins had a tie-in ice cream flavor for that movie, and it was called Can't Stop the Nuts. I swear to God. Oh, no, it wasn't. You're making that up. <laughs> yes, it was. I, I swear to God, and I have a picture of it. My listeners already know we covered this two years ago. <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, remember, I remember eating Can't Stop the Nuts. <laughs> oh. I remember eating the Condor Man ice cream, which is not as exciting. So. <laughs> Neither was the Herbie Goes Bananas ice cream. It wasn't very good. I don't know why I was surprised there was bananas in it, because I don't like bananas. And I was like, I don't want to, but never mind. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. What I think is also really cool about this movie is that it's very grounded in reality. Like, it's, it doesn't get weird. I mean, it's weird, but it's not like Lynch weird, like you said. There are a couple of nightmare scenes or premonition scenes that I, the visuals are so simple, but they're so good. Like, Nikki has a nightmare, and one of my favorite visuals is seeing little KT just walking with this blazing sun behind yeah. her. It's just a very creepy image, like using the sun instead of night, like the, you know, lightness instead of dark to, for scary things. I thought it was great. Even the snow cone got creepy again. Well, Satan is the light bringer, so uh, <laughs> there's your tie in there. There's also a birthday party nightmare sequence. There's a birthday party scene, too, that we're never really sure. We open with a birthday party. We end with a birthday party. <laughs> There's something there in the middle, though, where, where somebody's having either a dream, like you said, or a premonition. Um, this could also be where the, ch- where the children are really going, like the souls of the children, the disembodied souls of the children could end up at this birthday party. You're talking about the creepy cake scene, the black cake with the red um, filling. You know, the creepy cake that's doing nothing to hide the fact that it's a creepy cake. It's saying, hi, I'm a creepy cake. Look at me. I guess, yeah. It's, it's like a bunch of um, a, a bunch of the children were standing around, and it was they were actually acting like children for once in the movie, and they were they were playing, and, and there was like all, there was a place for each of them, and there was cake there, and toys and balloons. I have to send you. I have to. I have to send you. I have to send you a picture. I just found it. It's easy in the movie, but it's in the book again. It's that exact scene, but it's in one of those woodcutting books. <gasps> like all the all the children digging into this cake, and there's like devilish figures all around, like like severed body parts and their souls being sucked out. So yeah, whatever happened at that birthday party was when everything got okay. Was when yeah, the I deal didn't get that you. part either. So it was kind of like eat this, eat this. See, the head cannon that I've devised for this is that once these kids eat the cake, they're done because it's like a, a, the final part of the bargain. Then. Because the cake gets brought out, nobody, they, it's served to the kids. Nobody tells them to eat it. Nobody orders to eat it. They choose to eat it, and something happens when they eat it because that moment is depicted in book after book after book. So something important happens here. So I just figure this is it. Even if they didn't know they were giving away their souls, they involuntarily gave away their souls. It was the tannis root that was inside the cake that started. <laughs> Thank the, you. <laughs> it's not my favorite. Not my favorite satanic birthday party though. That would be in the Sentinel, which has a oh, yeah. party for black a cat. Black and white cat, black and white cake. <laughs> That's hey, my if favorite. You're gonna, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna go, if you're gonna go to any cat birthday party, you want to go to Jezebel's because that's gonna be lit. <laughs> it's just gonna be lit. That party's crazy. 
can I tell you, since these these guys, these guys, I have to thank I brought them I brought these I I brought this up to my Patreon listeners. Uncle Spooky is the coolest. If you don't know who Uncle Spooky is, follow him on Instagram. It's Uncle with a K, U N K L E. He also hosts screenings. He's blue. He might be dead. I don't know. I don't really know what's going on with Uncle Spooky. He does screenings on Tuesdays and Fridays. He screened the, the Sentinel a couple of weeks ago. Watching Uncle Spooky's face watch the Sentinel was the most entertaining <laughs> two hours of my life. Yeah, that's the great thing about Uncle Spooky is because like he shows movies he's never seen. So you, you're getting the reaction from him right away, and it's always golden. Ah, ah, he's priceless. I love him. I love him. So thank you for that. But uh, where were we? What are we talking about? I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, birthday party cake and woodcut. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I'll, I'll send you the art. It's really striking art, but no, they, this is well thought out. They know what they're doing. They play, plan everything. All the pieces are there, but you have to put them together yourself. And I like that everybody can come up with a different idea of what's going on. It works. And I love that nobody in town knows because they can't know. They can't know. Uh, who did you mention? Uh, ooh, ooh, the, the Green Acres guy. Oh, uh, A.V. Martin. Or, or... Toby. Yeah, Toby. I love him in this. Yeah. Toby's like the only person who has any like a tiny bit of humanity left to him. He totally goofy, totally sweet. He makes the movie palatable. Like it would be really hard to watch if he didn't have a little bit of comic relief and he's not that much of one, but it's just nice. Although he gives KT that devil monkey. Fuck that. What is that? I'm, 70 toys were awful. That is the <laughs> limit. Awful. Yeah. I remember. I remember those monkeys. I remember those monkeys with the mouth stitched shut. What the, who made those shits? What the hell? Not Okay. Oh, uh, the same people that made okay. Hugo. Actually, uh, you know who made Hugo, Hugo was oh, Al- oh, Alan oh, Ormsby. Oh, you mean Dr. Mondo? Alan Ormsby, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, uh, Alan Ormsby made Hugo, so yeah, I take that back. Is that the puppet? Yeah, it was the man of a thousand faces. It was like a puppet you could put different faces and things on. He looked kind of like became, a uh, Donald Pleasancy. That became Dr. Mondo in the Pee Wee special. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Do you feel hypnotized, Joan? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the first time I saw um, Hugo, because I don't remember it from back in the day, but Pee Wee Herman brought it on David Letterman and, and showed it. Everything is Hugo. I will go where you go. I don't remember it's that been a whole episode. It's been a whole episode, and I have not made a musical theater joke, and I just did. You're welcome, everybody. It's about time. <laughs> I mean, we did bring up a chorus line in the movie, but is that a musical? Barely. Not really. It's, a, it's an atrocity. It's an atrocity. God, I hope I get it. The other scene that rang all the the one that really made me sweat watching it through. We are following that. They figure out like the the priest has figured it out. He's like, they need thirteen kids. <laughs> Twelve are missing. Your daughter's missing. She just turned eight. That's why you're here. There's three boys left in town of that age grown age range. We gotta watch them. And we cut to Fidel Castro. Says, I keep saying that because he's dressed like Fidel Castro, but he's not Fidel Castro. And the second they cut to his living room and you see that back shadowed figure of the toy knight on the horse, I was like, nope, 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 nope. I don't remember what happens, but something very bad is about to happen that scarred me very badly. Yeah, that's a really weird moment uh, where it's just it's one of those scenes that goes on and on uh, and it's very silent. And and then all of a sudden there's this burst of something that happens. Like out of the darkness comes this sting, and you realize it's a knight on a horse. <laughs> it chops his head this off. This impossible, this impossible thing. Um, 
It's possible thing. No, I, it, it, it's a great moment. It's wonderful stuff. And I love all the attention to detail. The, like going back to the tank scene, one of my favorite things is when you see the little cowboy kid. Yeah. Walking over the hill to meet the other kids. There are tread tracks in the sand. It just add real. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Those aren't tire tracks. Those are tank treads <laughs> in the sand. So it was here. It was here. It may not be here now, but there was a tank here. Yeah, it really happened. It Satan wasn't imagined. Man. Satan, man. It's not to be fucked with, man. Apparently not, because not even the priest can stop Satan in this movie. No. No. No, he, no, no he's reduced to a blithering idiot, which is which is also a wonderful scene. No, the, the, the whole the cast is here to play. They're all bringing their A game, and I liked, I, I liked everybody. I cared about everybody and as much as you can. It was a strange little film, but I really dig it. It's groovy. It's far out. It's on the uh, Church of Satan's film list um, of their 95 approved films. Good to know. Good to know. And yeah, so, and then the, and it has this wonderful downbeat 70s ending. The movie's 50 years old. We can spoil it. Yeah. <laughs> they, get, they get away with it. <laughs> the town are trying, they, they figured out all the kids are in this house, the creepy old house, and they break into the house where the slaughter just happened, and you know, th- th- there should be bodies everywhere when they break in. Everything's fine. It's just an empty house. Like the, the, the satanic set's gone, like it was another dimension in there. Just everything's gone, and the kids are just playing. Yeah, but the, there are and little the dolls look- that uh, are apparently the actual figures of, of the once living human beings. I never noticed that until this time through that on the table there's like a little place, a little satanic place that I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? But yeah, it's just this weird thing. But then you realize, okay, all the Satanists are now in those kids who are now just about to be taken home and start their new lives. I mean, like, were they going to pretend like they were the normal children? Do they keep their toys as avatars of their past selves? <laughs> <laughs> what I was wondering, I was like, well, okay, so everybody here, all these kids are now orphans, except for KT. So we we get another round of life and the Brotherhood of Satan, you know, in the foster care system. <laughs> Great, wonderful, super. <laughs> well, KT's dad and his fabulous girlfriend surely had to go because they were the only two that would have known that this child was not acting like their child prior to this. So, you know, I, I'm I'm guessing that um, you know, a giant sized Barbie came and stomped on them at some point. That devil monkey. That that orange devil monkey. Hopefully. <laughs> Barbie had sharp feet. I mean if she stepped on them she would definitely puncture their bodies. I just figured it all out too. Okay. Bill. Bill. This is not a movie. It's a documentary. Okay. Jerry Reichel is actually in the Brotherhood of Satan. She's actually a really old witch. <laughs> and that's why she won't call us back. You think that could be it? Yeah, they're like, we I promise you everything. I promise you everything, Jerry. I promise you everything. You're going to have a hit TV show that lasts for seven episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she fell for it once. She's not going to fall for it again. Oh, yeah. She's like, no, but it's too, it's too late. You belong to him. You belong to the dear one now, Jerry Reichel. I still hope Jerry gets in touch with us. I really want to... Oh, please, if she called me right now and be like, click, click, who are these two guys? <laughs> I mean, I love you both, but it's Jerry Reichel. Of course, She's yeah. dancing with Maury. She was dancing with Maury McCormick and Robert Reed. This is, I just, I, oh, God. <laughs> Very fabulously, too. I've never danced with the, the secret, The secret night caller himself. 
I still haven't seen that movie, and I'm dying to. I want to see. <laughs> oh my God! It's an obscene it. phone caller. I've got to see that. With the obscene phone calls that they can't play on TV, so just people going, "Oh my God! I can't believe you're That's saying one that." That's I want to see it. I want to see it to hear oh, it. Oh, yeah. terrible! Where is your? And it's Robert Reed. He's probably just like, "Your hair looks terrible." <laughs> How do they handle it? In the- your your shoes are last season. <laughs> <laughs> you just see the people flipping out about. It, it, you can write it in your head. It's not like Billy and Black Christmas. You have to like imagine the filth that Robert Reed I looked is into your, dropping on. I looked into your window as you were going to bed. You call that a nightgown? Fringe lampshades? Really? <laughs> Girl, it's awful. Poor Robert. Poor Robert. Leave Robert alone. Robert was the only one who liked doing the Brady Bunch Variety Hour. Bless his heart. <laughs> I, gotta t- I have a weird weakness for the last series of the Brady's where it got like 30-something and got way too serious. I don't know why. Because it's so bad. And I love you mean, it. You mean where Marsha became an alcoholic and was cured at the end of the 60 Minutes? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and Martha Quinn again. was in it. Yeah, I, of course I watched Didn't it. Didn't Bobby lose the ability to watch? Yes. Oh, yeah. yes, he became a paraplegic in the first episode and like was cured three episodes. <laughs> Stupid show. Stupid. Just like the real Brady Bunch. I tried. But no, but no, it wasn't wholesome. It wasn't the same. It wasn't groovy. It was just bland and stupid. It had a fake Marsha. Fake, fake Jan is one thing. Fake Cindy is another thing. Fake Marsha, unacceptable. Unacceptable. Except if it's Christine Watts-Her-Face. Oh, oh uh, that's okay. She's brilliant. She nails Marsha. You can forget that that's not Marsha. I have to give you that. She she did nail Marsha, and and I'm sure a lot of people wanted to watch, too. Uh, oh, I might as well tell you my Marsha Brady story since I'm here. Please do. I could have banged Marsha Brady. <laughs> no. Really? Long time ago, when they did the revival of Greece in the 90s on Broadway, she was playing Rizzo. Now, you have to understand, I... Everything I say it on the show all the time. Everything I learned in life, needed to learn in life, I learned on the Brady Bunch or from porn. So anything involving the Bradys, I'm going to be stomping down the door to get to, as well as a lot of my friends at the time. So a massive group of us took over the theater to see Greece. We wound up with front row seats. I don't know how that happened. But it was like a Tuesday night. The audience was dead, except for our group who was screaming like we had brain damage, which obviously we did. The show's going on. I'm going, is it me? Or does Maureen McCormick direct everything right at me? Uh-oh. And it's, I didn't say anything. And then I just figured, I'm like, no, it's just it's just the lights. And then at intermission, my, my boyfriend at the time was like, why does Maureen McCormick keep flirting for you from the States? I'm like, okay, it isn't just She was me. digging your scene. Me. We hung out, for, you know, we, did, we staged Dorton, which I never do, but it was Marsha Brady. She came out and she was like, oh, I'm so glad you came back to say hi. I saw you from the stage. I'm like, yeah, I know you didn't. <laughs> she asked me for a drink. She's like, do you want to come for a drink? I'm like, okay, you're twice my age and I'm so gay and I wish I wasn't right now. <laughs> this is the weirdest teenage fantasy coming to life in the wrongest way possible, but I totally could have banged Marsha Brady. Sam, what would you have done in that situation? I never was into into her, so I, I, I don't know what? what I would do. Yeah. You're the what? straightest guy I know, you? and you weren't into Marsha Brady? 
Get the fuck off. Get off my show right now. How no, dare you, Sam Panico? When you asked us to do this show, I wondered if it mattered that Sam isn't a queen. <laughs> I am. No. 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 All are welcome here if you're cool. And Sam's cool. I like Sam. Sam's awesome. Sam knows his shit. Sam's funny. Sam's welcome here. But he but he doesn't like Marsha Brady. And now he's fucked. That's bullshit. That's fucking. Get the fuck out of here. I also touched E. Plum's butt now that I mention it. I think was there anyone on the Brady Bunch you would have banged? Me? Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's a sexless experience. Margie Ripple. <laughs> Margie Ripple. Margie Ripple had the best birthday parties. Sam Panic goes. Sam goes to the party. Goes. <laughs> Cousin Oliver, because it would at least be a story. Gross. <laughs> Gross. Gross. Why does he keep coming up? You know, I made a post the other day because all of a sudden the show Big John Little John popped into <gasps> my head, and I had no idea that a post about Big John oh Little John would be like the God. most comments that I had in like fourteen years on it. So I was just like, just want you to know as bad as things are, just. You think things are bad now, but I just want you to know if you if you if you feel like got this weird golden haze on your nostalgia view of the world, I just want you to know that Big John Little John happened. It happened and we watched it. We don't talk about it now, but it happened. Wow, I hadn't thought about that in so long. Stan from the Golden Girls somehow turned into Oliver from the Brady Bunch. I realize now that I'm older that most of my sitcom crushes were all uh, really uh, butch girls. Joe from Facts of Life is probably my biggest uh, 80s crush. So Nancy McKean kicks ass. I'll, yeah. I'll give you Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my big one. So Not Lisa Welch, oh, though. No, not at all. No one else. She spanks ass. Lisa Welch taught me everything I needed to know about being gay. Like, like the bitchy one-liners, how to be obsessive <laughs> about your looks and do a perfect hair flip. Do <laughs> <laughs> you remember when she almost got canceled for beating her children? <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, she was. Um, she wrote a book about parenting, and she had stuff in there like instructing parents to spank their children, or it was something like that. I, I could be a little fuzzy, but I I was the social media person for Starkist when Candace Cameron got canceled. Don't let me tell you that was no fun at all. Oh, uh, why did she get canceled? Because she said that women should uh, worship their husbands and uh, let them do whatever they want, and uh, and it was just like and. It, the it, so we were like, hey, here's a great recipe from Candace Cameron to make tuna salad, and they're like, you fucking bitch. <laughs> Candace Cameron cringy salad. Yeah, and every response was like, how dare you? Wow. Uh, is anything, yeah. is anything wow. ever a two way street? Does it always have to be no. like one person has all the power and the other one is completely a uh, doormat? Can't we progress? Uh, not in my experience. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a doormat would say. Yeah, exactly. Who <laughs> knows my history? No, I'm just kidding. He does. I do know your history. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're go on. We're we not talking about the Brotherhood of Satan anymore. I have. A, I do. I do want to bring up something about we've Brotherhood derailed, of Satan. We've derailed. We've derailed. But welcome to Groovy Doom. Yeah, this is more like our show. Welcome now. to Groovy Doom. <laughs> welcome to Groovy Doom. We don't color in the lines. No, no, and plus, I've done this episode before. I've talked about this movie. I thought maybe we hit some new stuff. We didn't, but you know what? I don't care. I just wanted to get these guys in the show, and I, that Aww, was the first exploitation you. film I could think of, and I need, it was an excuse. Because I enjoy your show so much. I, I love the channel. I love the magazine. I love that you, you introduced me to Uncle Spooky, and I can't wait to come host. Yes, that's going to happen. That's going to happen in August. Isn't that when you said you were going to be available? 
Yes, that's when I'll be taking a month off from this show. Oh, right on. So you'll slide right into uh, I'll be thing. cheating on you with you guys when the other one, <laughs> when my list is on vacation. I really want one of the giveaways from this movie, though. That's my dream to, to find What one. was that? Oh, 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 I just found out about that today. Please, Sam Panico, tell us. What? Okay, okay. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, uh, we did the movie Popcorn. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's and- one of my favorites. Thank you. And for you know, I, for my screenings, my whole gimmick is that I'll, I'll line up a pre-show party that's themed to the movie. And this was all about gimmicks, the, the old the old high school, uh, movie gimmicks, the great ones, the, the good ones, and stuff like that. And everybody thought it was great and fascinating. They never heard of stuff. This was a new one by me. This is one of the worst promotional gimmicks I've ever heard. I wish I had it for that damn party. Sam Panico, please tell us about what did you get when you bought a ticket for Brotherhood of Satan? You got a packet of Satan's soul seeds. There were two seeds inside an envelope, just two. And they had instructions that they provided protection from the black magic of the Brotherhood of Satan. But nobody knows what kind of seeds they were <laughs> if they grew. They were Jerry Reichel's ovaries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was wondering. <laughs> what a terrible thing to say. She was a child at the time. Patrick! <laughs> I was wondering if I they grew booze. some good flour, man. Yeah, that's what it was. Oh, no, but still, there's nothing in the movie about plants. It's like the, the whole the whole landscape is as barren as fuck. Here's a plant. Yeah, that may have been a leftover. Uh, that could have been a leftover gimmick because Torture Garden, the movie Torture Garden, did the same thing. So they probably had a whole bunch of envelopes of those seeds and were like, "What the fuck are we gonna do with these?" Oh, I know. We'll, we'll make it Satan seeds. <laughs> I also love that this movie played double features with THX 1138, which seems like the weirdest double feature. I would never pair it with that movie, but there, there it is. No, that is a weird pairing. Welcome to the drive-in. Like a chorus line with porn. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pop the head, Cassie. Indeed. <laughs> it works for porn. It works for chorus line. God, I hope I get <laughs> All it. All right, boy. I hope I don't get it. She's really got it. <laughs> I think she's getting it too much. I think she's getting it too much. <laughs> I'm excited. What, what, I'm sorry. This is where you can tell I'm straight because I can't answer any of the four times. I, I, I hate you both now. I hate you both now because everything was beautiful at the origin. <laughs> Double penetration for all. <laughs> I can only do songs from the Apple. That's about all that I can do. You love the Apple. I do. The important, the important thing is, is that you tried, Sam. And it is a musical, and I will accept that. <laughs> Ten minutes show tune. That's a musical. Okay. <laughs> all right, boys. I think we've done Brotherhood of Satan as much as we're going to do. We'll just be yammering all night, and I don't mind. But my listeners have things to do. So tell me, where can people find out more about you and about the zine and see your screenings? Your audio cut out there for a second, so I don't know what you said. I said Bill Van Ren is the biggest man. <laughs> You shut your mouth. Why don't you talk about Bill? We can dig it. What I said was, why don't we take a moment before we wrap things up? Please tell us, where can my lovely listeners find out more about the two of you, find out more about Groovy Doom and your fabulous zine? Sam's got a great website. It's called BNS About Movies. And come check it out. Not bands about movies, BNS about movies. That is how it looks in the browser, though, when, when you put it in. Yeah, it is how it looks. <laughs> but that's a good way. That's a mnemonic to remember it by. Oh, my God. P- 
chicken name stick with it. Brandy Boy, so many names. That's my site. So many, so many show companies. I can't keep up with you guys. You're everywhere. We're trying You're to, the Umbrella Corporation. Exactly. We're trying to just continually take over and exploit exploitation. It's like the end of a Scooby-Doo. Stand back, go. The way we peel off our skin and you'll see a lizard skin underneath. <laughs> Um, yeah, Sam's site is called BNS About Movies. He writes many, many, many film reviews. Sam watches more movies than anybody I know. It's usually like five a day. Okay. Okay. So, uh, yeah, and, and uh, Groovy Doom, they can find it on Facebook? Groovy Doom, yeah. Um, go to Facebook. Just type it in. The page is that's, – that's my biggest page. Um, our zine is called Drive-In Asylum. Uh, you want to search for that. You can you can go to our website, which is driveinasylum.com. Uh, that has links to all of my social media, my blog, and the Etsy shop where you can buy Drive in Asylum. Uh, we're in our uh, 22nd issue, which is about to come out in just a couple of weeks. Um, we have Candace Hillegoss from Carnival of Souls. She's going to be in number 22. And, uh, yeah, we're really excited that, that – that we got her. She's fantastic. She gives a lot of insight into making Carnival of Souls and Curse of the Living Corpse, another biggie that she starred in. <laughs> Not a biggie, but... <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah? It's, it's a proto-slasher movie that nobody talks about. It is, yeah. Uh, it's it's very... Um, it's sort of Italian, isn't it? When you say sort of a, no, uh, my, my, my sorry, we're back up, we're back, right? The show's back on, everybody. No, I mean, the, the Gaylords of Darkness, one of my favorite uh, queer podcasts. They were saying it would be really great if people started making period slasher movies, you know, like set in different time periods, and they're trying to figure out what periods of work on it. Just going, they made one in the fifties, you know, because <laughs> it takes place. It was shot in the fifties, but it takes place in Victorian England or some shit. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. Great movie. I. <clears throat> Patrick's had booze, so Patrick's babbly. So uh, we're going to wrap this up before I go down another tangent. Bill, Sam, thank you so much for joining me on the Scream Queen podcast and talking about this very, very scary movie. This is very, very traumatic for me. I don't know if we did a good job with it. I don't care. I had a good time, and I hope you did too. Follow these boys. They're fantastic. Thank you both. Thanks for having us Have on. Have a fantastic night. It was, it was really great. And we can't wait till you do our show. Get off my show. You're going to come do ours, right? I confirm nothing. Okay, that was fabulous. Once again, thank you to Bill and Sam from Groovy Doom for coming on and reliving this childhood nightmare with me. And you know what? I'm going to say this right here. I'm going to be out and proud. The mic problems were worth it just to hang out with you guys for two hours. Loved it. Wonderful stuff. Um, yeah, so be sure to go out and check out Groovy Doom over on Facebook. And don't forget their double feature screenings every Saturday night starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. They're very fun. They're very fun people to hang out with. They know a lot. They know a lot. And their knowledge set is completely different from mine, which which I thought was really nifty. So before we wrap things up, there's one thing I want to talk to you guys about since I try to be honest here as much as possible with what's going on with me. I figure the more honest I can be here, the more honest I am with myself. That's a weird sort of therapy thing that podcasting does for a podcaster. But one of the things that has been weighing heavily on my head is that I got my test results back. You know, I have to go for blood tests every year, uh, twice a year for my HIV to make sure it's maintained. I've been undetectable since 2005, 
which means it is impossible for me to transmit the virus. The, the virus level is so low that they can't find it. Well, these test results came back, and for the first time since 2005, I am detectable. Now, my doctor said, he said, don't worry about it, Patrick, because you, only, you got your blood tests done two weeks after you had your first shot of the Moderna vaccine. He said, it's not unusual to see results like this that soon because your immune system just took a huge hit from the vaccine so that there might be a, a temporary resurgence. I said, okay, fine. Of course, my mouth said that, but my brain has been going haywire ever since, and I've just been angry. I've been angry. Been angry at CVS. My brain decided that if it's not the vaccine, it's CVS's fault. I mean, it's because of them I missed, what, two months of medication last year? That couldn't have helped. But what's really gnawing at me is that I'm contagious again. I feel disgusting. I feel unclean. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to see people. I feel. I know it's not transmittable by just being around people, but that's the way I feel. And it boggles my mind. There are people stomping around the planet right now thinking, I can do anything I want. I don't need no vaccine. Blah, blah, blah. And they're just vectors and just, just spewing viruses everywhere. And it's just, I, it, it, it's, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. Not having people to talk about this with has made it so much worse because if these things, these thoughts just amplify in my brain. They just keep kind of ricocheting around in my skull instead of losing momentum. They gain momentum and find new friends and new, new awful talking points to just drive myself crazy with. So that's where I've been. I've been tired. I'm in mourning. I'm contagious and I'm not happy. So that's why we missed an episode last week. But we pick up, we move forward. You know, it's normally about here that I do a pitch for Captivate FM or Squadcast. I don't have it in me today. I can't push the social media stuff. I just, I don't have it. I'm not there. So I'm just going to wrap things up a bit early. Uh, however, if you haven't seen Brotherhood of Satan, and you'd like to, Come out now with us this Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at the Scream Queens Drive-In, the virtual drive-in. That's at www.screamqueens.com slash drive-in. Come early for the vintage video pre-show party. It's tons of fun. There's giveaways. There's trivia. There's sing-alongs. We have a good-ass time. It's not a, Got a nice little crowd that keeps coming every week, and we have tons of fun, and you should be there as well. Um, next time, it's our anniversary show. What better way to end the season? And to celebrate another year of Scream Queens. And to have on our most popular guests, Allison Nowacki and Brian Polk. And they're going to be here to talk about the film Psycho Gorman. Psycho Gorman is available on Shutter, so go play along at home. And um, that's all I've got for you. I'm exhausted. So until next time, my beautiful Screamers, continue to make the world a more fabulously creepy place. And you do that by following the Scream Queens golden rule. Fight or flight. Survive the night. Make it to the final reel. Wash your fucking hands. Wear a fucking mask. Keep your fucking distance. Get the fucking shot. And don't forget for a second that I love you. Because I do. I love you. The music for tonight's show, unless otherwise specified, has been written by Sam Haynes. You can find all of his music at www.bandcamp.com. Bitches! <laughs>
Ew.